I thought I thought the stereotype was you're all nice over there, Heather. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> it's it's like, what I, yeah, no, not not so much. Okay, it's just you and Ryan Reynolds. Everyone else. Mental health. Mental health. This is Straight Talking Mental Health. We're all about tackling everyday mental health issues and the reason we're straight talking mental health is that we'll cut to the point and tackle these issues head on. My name is Cameron Clark and his name is Alan Clark. And this week we're straight talking blindness and we'll be joined by Heather Hutchison, a singer, songwriter and author from Canada. We'll chat to Heather shortly and if you haven't already, you can check us out on social media on Twitter at S-T-R-A Talking Pod. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram or on our website by clicking the links in the description. And as we've seen in the past by sharing the pages and the podcasts and by telling your story, you can help us reach more people and the more we can reach, the more we can help. Alan, how's it going? Yeah, all good, man. All good. Your first, uh, you had your first full show last week. How was it for you? I mean, I think I killed it. You killed it, nailed it. Fucking nailed yeah. it. I, yeah. I, I think I did anyway. Yeah. You didn't like listening to yourself back? Ah, it's not that I, I don't like listening to myself back. I just choose not to do it. I, you know, I think <laughs> every every time I've either been on the show or, or hosted it, we've discussed this. Yeah. And you always find it a weird topic. No, I just I just prefer not to do it. No, I don't like listening to yourself, unlike me. <laughs> no, I, I don't know where you get it from. Because you're annoying as shit. Oh, Jesus Christ. Thanks very much. Well, that's, that's years of rocking the mic, me and Pete. <laughs> you know, back in the rapping days. Yeah, you seen you seen us rapping a few times, didn't you? When I was a child, I preferred to block it out. <laughs> you know, white, white boys aren't supposed to rap. But oh Jesus, harsh man, it's fucking harsh mm. boys. Good to know that your family are your biggest fans, anyway, isn't it? No, you you have to be criticised. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Nah, see, that's not what we're about. We're, we're about bigging people up. We're about <laughs> uh, not not trying to destroy people. Not being Irish. Call it constructive criticism. Well, give some of the constructive down power from your fucking shit. <laughs> that, that, that's not what I said. I said that's, white that's, boys that's shouldn't rap. That's your granddad's job. <laughs> I said as, white boys shouldn't rap. Yeah, as um, one night we did a gig. Where did we do a gig? I think we played the Derby as in Kildare, just around Derby time. I think we played the Derby Festival one year. And uh your grandfather, aka Pops, aka my old pappy, was there and uh, oh Jesus fucking not bad now, not bad. I was like, Jesus, that's that's as good as a fucking compliment comes from him. Like that's that, about that's a glowing absolutely. review. Absolutely. I was like, holy shit, like, oh my god, this is what I've been waiting for my entire life. You take that one to the grave. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no, but then uh we were in we were out in the pub one night. So he just happened to be out at the same time. It was my birthday. And he goes well, you're still doing the uh, still doing the old rapping, are you? And I was like, nah, nah. I said, I stopped a while ago. You know, just focusing on the acting now. Oh, good, yeah. Because you were fucking shy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, cheers, a fucking bunch. There we go. He give it and he take it away. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's 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 how supportive he he generally was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh well, at least you got something. At least you got it once. Yeah, that one, that one, yeah. that that fucking kept me going for years. That <laughs> I, I fucking I basked in that in my loneliest, <laughs> darkest moment. I was like, but remember that time you said you weren't bad? You know, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Just cling on to that. <laughs> Lying in bed, crying yourself to sleep. But at least you have that moment to <laughs> yeah. hold on to. Wrapping myself in the warm duvet of shoot, <laughs> you weren't that bad. <laughs> Fuck it up. What stood out to you from the chat last week with Mags as we spoke about grief? 
it was dark which is i suppose to be expected <laughs> just uh, from yeah. the topic it is but like you know normally we're kind of about making it a little bit more lighthearted here i feel like there was no room to do that last week yeah mildly just tight. now look that was mostly i suppose the topic we were discussing yeah yeah but yeah. um yeah it was a lot more serious i think than what we're used to here that's all right we, we, we mm. take the light with the shade yeah uh, we have yeah. to get serious sometimes we do mm. yeah but Let's see what let's see what Heather is like. Heather is uh, Canadian, so we'll, we'll wonder if we if we can knock a bit of crack over Canadian. Mm. We'll, we we give that a good go. We, we always give it a shot on the show anyway. Yeah. yeah. Any any topic or anything Mags mentioned in particular last week that that stood out for you? I, was well, I found it interesting how she talked about um, the comparisons between those who can go deeper into their work when they're dealing with grief and those who complete who need to completely step away from it. Mm. I found it just interesting the way it's contrasted like that. Yeah. And how people sort of try to hide it just by burying themselves into work. Yeah. Well, I think that the, um, the standout for me, I, I thought it was going to be her closing, her closing comment. Because she mentioned it a few times. Was, we grieve how we live, you know, and that mm. gets, that gets turned up to 11 then, mm. you know, so if we don't talk about our feelings, we're going to, we're going to shut down, you know. If we do like to, we're we're going to we're going to do that amplified. That was that was I think that was a standout for me that we grieve how we live, and it's very it's very true. Hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Any smiles this week? Any smiles? Smiles and rails. Got a few. Got a few smiles and rails. Before we, before we get into that, what's been going on with you? What's been happening with you this week? Ah, not much. You know, just working away. I was enjoying the weather until today. We've had a nice bit of sun for the past few days. Ah, it'll clear up. For anyone who doesn't know, we're recording on Thursday morning. It's warm. It's sticky, but it's not. It's not sunny yet. But hopefully, no, it will be. Nothing worse though, you know. Jeez, if it's if it's hot, let it be hot. Like, you know, let, let me feel the sun in my bones. Don't just have you it can enjoy yourself. Yeah, yeah. Sit outside. Get a get a bit of color. Apart from being pasty, white, yeah, yeah, and Irish, if, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get a bit of color. But yeah, get so in in Ireland, getting the color means you just you go pink. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you upgrade from perhaps translucent to pink. <laughs> <laughs> so how how yeah. was work been? Busy, busy. Yeah. We're, everyone's kind of disappointed at the news now that. There's no indoor dining now on the fifth of July because they've pushed that back. Yeah, I was going to ask me right, but I thought you'd I thought you would touch on it. Yeah. So yeah. for for everyone else around the world, Ireland is still semi locked down. There is no indoor dining, meaning you can't eat indoors, you can't go to the restaurant, you can dine outdoors, and you can drink outdoors, can't you? In, in yeah. norm, normal pubs, yeah. you're allowed to serve outside. And what that has led to in many parts of Ireland, and particularly Dublin, is people just going out getting pissed and shit-faced on the street and all sorts of uh, unruly behaviour happening then as a result because there's nowhere else to go. It's so, led to um, quite a lot of fun in the country. <laughs> yeah, well, I think social, social <laughs> media different ideas of fun. <laughs> social media filled with just teenagers trying to kill each other. Yeah, pretty much. Because they're hammered drunk. So what happened then? Was it yesterday? No, Tuesday, was it? When was that announced? Tuesday. Tuesday. So what happened? So indoor dining was meant to return on the 5th. That's right. The 5th of July, which would have been next Monday as we record, or yesterday as you listen to this. And then it was announced the other day that that is now pushed until the 19th. So a further two weeks. At least. At least, yeah. So even that isn't going, oh, well, at least right, two more weeks, lads, and we're, and we're pushing through. 
So a lot of uncertainty at the moment for a lot of people, a lot of pissed off people at the moment, understandably. Mm. Yeah. Are you one of them? Are you kind of okay with it? Or I'm I'm still working, so I'm not going to I'm not going to complain about it too much in case the government hears this and decides to take that away from me. <laughs> oh as yeah, well. that's why they'll do it. Eric <laughs> yeah. Cameron, we fucking heard in the Straight Talk of Mental Health podcast, which we listen to every week to gauge the uh, mental health status of the country. Yeah, man, we ha- we have to be careful. They're closing us down for everything <laughs> at the minute. Can't be taking any unnecessary risks. Every other pub, every other pub can open except Cunningham's because <laughs> that's where Cameron Clark works. <laughs> <laughs> So back in work, what's, what's, what's got you smiling, what's got you riling? I think I'm still kind of smiling about being back in work. Still, and hopefully hasn't wore off yet. No. Early it finishes. Was... You, know, come, you know, I remember you getting in at three o'clock and after three o'clock at times. It's a, Those it's days a nicer, are gone since, since It's lockdown. a nicer place to work. That's, that's for sure, yeah. just with the earlier finishes. And customers are, I think it's very, just happy to be back in a pub. So they're being very friendly. It's nice. It's a nice place to be. At least for the meantime. Is that yeah. because they haven't got the time there to get shit-faced and be drunk arseholes? Oh, no, they're, they're still managing that. You can put drink away in an hour and 45 minutes, especially yeah. if you've been somewhere else beforehand. But yeah. Everyone's just been friendlier in general. I think they, yeah. they all understand. More, more than most businesses, pubs have really taken a hit. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, so it's been a long 14 months. I think I'm still just... Grateful to be back, I suppose. Yeah. Well, what I'd normally say around alcohol is uh, alcohol just unlocks whatever's already there mm. or it amplifies what's already there. So if you're an arsehole with drink, you're just going to be a drunk, bigger arsehole. Absolutely. Yeah. Pause there to swallow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's your smile. What about your rails? Um, I think I think I'm free from Riles this week. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll throw we'll throw the Bill Cosby situation in as a Ryle. Yeah, do you want to wanna touch on that? So for those that don't know, Bill Bill Cosby got released from prison yesterday after mm. a mix up with a a previous lawyer who had told him he wouldn't get any jail time, and he's now been released because of it because of a clerical error. Jesus so Christ! What was supposed to be a ten year sentence became a two year sentence, and he's now free. So technicality, mm. and can he? Be, you know, he can't be retried. You can't be retried for, or is that just in the movies? Double I, jeopardy, I, now, isn't that the whole thing of double jeopardy? They can't you be. See, retried unfortunately, for I'm not a lawyer, so yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the thing in all the movies. You can't be retried yeah. unless the 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 charge him for something else. Yeah, hopefully that'll be the case. And the same time that Britney Spears, um, her father is still basically in charge of her. Yeah, jeez, that's that's a mad story. Conservative ship, is that what it's called or something? That man who screamed free Britney years ago. He was right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh well, remember that I remember when that went viral? That was that was bizarre. But he was right. He was. And we, yeah. we all we all judged him. Yeah. I think yeah. we owe we owe that man an apology. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Bill is out. Um I I threw up a tweet um for for anyone that hasn't listened to our EMDR episode. We had Helen on, Helen, not her real name, who was involved in a high-profile uh, rape case in in the UK. If you haven't, if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go back in that. That was that was an amazing story she had to tell, and uh, a tale of hope, despite everything of you know where she's at in her life now and how EMDR helped her to um, come through that, come through that experience and see her rapist um, sent to prison. 
Hopefully he gets a little bit more than Bill Cosby did. Speaking of EMDR, we got some correspondence just to get into that a little bit. So we got an email from Lloyd. How are you, Lloyd? Thank you very much for, for sending in your email. And Lloyd says, hey, I'm a massive fan of the podcast. Been listening for a couple of months and has been a real emotional experience at times. Not in a bad way, but just me coming to terms with certain areas. I was wondering if there was a plan for an episode on repressed emotions. I've been repressing emotions since the age of three. I'm 23 now and I have had a therapist use EMDR and it helped a little with some thoughts. I would love an episode on emotional repression. I don't mind being a guest. If that's an option, that is an option, Lloyd. I will reach out to you. And we will make something happen on that front. I will to talk about anything and everything. Good man, light. That's what we. That's what we appreciate on the show. I've also come to realize that I'm drawn to Buddhism, and I'm a budding Buddhist. So thank you, Alan, for that. It's a life changer for me. Keep up the amazing work you do, and just know that you're definitely making a change to people's lives. Thanks very much, light. That was very nice. So yeah, that was a nice email. It's great. I love when people take the time to to let us know that. Uh, budding Buddhist. As I remember when before <laughs> I went. Uh, I had my Mitra ceremony where you officially sort of become a Buddhist. Um, and I remember having a discussion with some of the order members up there. I was like, yeah, sometimes you can be a kind of closet Buddhist and not even realize it. <laughs> and that's what I realized when I was up there. I was like, oh, hang on a second. I relate to this shit. You know, this just, oh, they have a name for it. I was like, well, just be sound. That's, that's my life philosophy. <laughs> as much as possible, just be sound. And Lloyd must feel the same way. You sound fairly sound, Lloyd. For people around the world, sound means in Ireland, you know, you're a good person. You're a good egg. You're you're generally generally okay. So thanks very much to to Lloyd for taking the time to email us. Just as we mentioned, the MDR around the the rape case with with Helen and Bill Cosby. Um, it was a it was a nice segue. Unbeknownst to yourself, you you segued in. Ah. Well, We'll say, we'll say I tried it. It was, yeah, it was all planned. Yeah, absolutely. Well done, considering you didn't have access to the email. So well done. Yeah. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. Um, so further to the email that we had from Lloyd, we also had um, a bigger email, I guess, would be the be the script, best description of it. And this is from Marty in Australia. It's a very important one, which is one to, want to dedicate, give it a little bit more time and, and the weight that it deserves. Hey, guys, I've only just found your podcast and started listening to it. Just finished a suicide episode. I came across your podcast purely because I was looking for something, anything that would help me understand what's going on inside my head. A lot of things have happened to me recently, largely due to my own fault, and now as a result, I've lost my job, can't see my own kids, barely talk to my wife, distance from my own family, only one close friend from childhood who lives far away, and I'm feeling the worst I've ever felt in my entire life. I've never been one to talk about myself or my or my own problems, always finding it easier to help or talk about someone else and help them carry their problems as a way to cope, I suppose. Worked in a position exposed to people in crisis, generally always being able to find a solution or a next step to help others, never wanting to rely or burden someone else. Now I sit here challenged by everything I've ever known or taught to be correct or right for more than two decades. The only thing keeping me going here is the glimmer of hope, although I've never been one for hope that I'll get to be with my kids again. But knowing due to the circumstances, the likelihood of it returning to the way it was will be impossible. I know and have told other people that they shouldn't commit suicide as people care about them and they will be missed or part of me knows that. But everything else is telling me otherwise. The more people seem to try and rationalize it to me, the more I process how and why they are wrong as they don't understand the way I'm thinking about it. Every reason they give me not to, I have twice as many reasons why I should. I have my first psychological appointment in four days and I'm very much hoping he can help. Otherwise, I don't see much else being able to. 
even just the little of your podcast I've listened to has opened my eyes to things. I ordinarily wouldn't have thought they were an issue because I was normal. It was normal to me growing up and now questioning why, but not having the answers. The comment about passing the sorrow or sadness onto the next person is something I'm definitely struggling with, especially when I see it as they will grow and manage as I've seen so many people do. They are stronger. They have people to help them through. They will cope. Probably too much ranting, but just want to say I've appreciated listening to you guys so far. It's obviously something that is needed. Only wish I could have known these things decades ago. Thanks, Marty. That's a big one, Cam. It was. I just I'd like to thank Marty for emailing us and just want to say I'm I'm happy he's he's starting to see a glimmer of hope and he's maybe getting over the threshold of helping other people through their problems and finally focusing on on his own and trying to figure it out for himself, even if it's just a case where he's emailing us. As long as you're talking to somebody about it, it's it's a good step. Yeah. We'll have we'll have Heather Hutchinson on later on, Marty, and that's actually you know, it's kind of perfectly timed your email because Heather has been there and she has um she has some things to say around that. In terms of you know, in terms of seeing your kids again and, you know, as you say, knowing due to the circumstances, the likelihood of returning to the way it was will be impossible. You know, it may not go back to the way it was, but it could be something else. You know, that things can be put in place. Hopefully, obviously we don't have the full details, but, you know, things don't always have to go back to the way they were. We can, we can learn, we can grow, we can hopefully start something new it, it doesn't have to be all that it was it, it can be something else and in terms of you know struggling with especially the sorrow of passing it on saying that you know they'll grow and manage you've seen so many people do i can only speak from clinical experience here marty uh, in in my own practice and i've had the children of parents that have uh, ended their life and it doesn't go away. You learn to live with it. We spoke about grief on last week's episode. Uh, you don't really accept it, but you you learn to live with it. And I hope you've got your you've got uh, a psychology appointment next week. I hope it goes well for you, Marty. Please, you know, please do reach out if if you only do have or you feel you only have that one friend. Please reach out to that to that one friend. You're not a burden. Heather Heather will speak on this as well um in in her interview so you know thank you for reaching out please reach out to anyone else that you need to know that you know it it can change things change uh we've we've had so many guests on the podcast that have been there that have attempted that have considered that have had the intent and Thankfully, they've all been able to pull themselves out of it. And we hope you too. You can too, Marty. Listen to all the other episodes. You know, we can, I know we've helped other people. We've, we had our email from Phil some time back and the podcast helped him when he was so close. There's nothing we can say really that isn't going to sound patronizing. Like hang in there. It gets better. It's, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But support and social support is very important. Marty, thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out to us. And please, please talk to someone. So on the Facebook, Maggie jumped on. She left us a comment on one of the posts we put up around our fatherhood episode where P jumped back in for a week. 
good to have good to have P back. And uh, one of the things Peter took away from fatherhood was he never knew how sick kids get, and he is so right. Maggie left us a comment on Facebook that sick kids are a huge. That's the spelling. Huge trigger for her anxiety and that I think every parent can certainly relate to that yeah so that's that was a catch up on the social media side of things so a big huge thanks to Lloyd and Maggie for her comment Lloyd for his email um, we had your smiles we had your riles for myself you will not know who I'm talking about I really need Peter here to relate to this one but for anyone that's ever heard the hip hop group Black Alicious Gift of Gab the, the, the rapper from Black Alicious he died during the week. I think it was kidney failure or something like that. People may be familiar with the song Alphabet Aerobics. Have you ever heard that song? No, I haven't. I'm assuming that's before my time. Yeah, there's a famous clip of uh, Daniel Radcliffe rapping it on on a talk show. So for anyone that's... Um, let me pull it up a little bit. This is a song called got. Alphabet Aerobics. Artificial amateurs aren't it all amazing. Analytically, I assault animate things. Broken barriers bounded by the bomb beat. Buildings are broken, basically I'm bombarding. Casually create catastrophes, casualties, canceling cats, got the canopies collapsing. Detonate a diamond tank daily doing dope. Demonstrations, Don Dada on the down low. Eating other editors with each and every So if you've been listening to that little snippet there, what you will realize is first of all, he wraps everything beginning with the letter A, then he wraps everything beginning with the letter B but as the song goes on it gets faster and faster and faster and faster and faster you'll also realise that we're just saying fuck copyright and putting that out that's alright I think we're, we're under we're under a certain amount of time there we don't worry about that we're not big <laughs> enough for, for people to 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 uh, come at us with that but it's an, ama- an amazing song he was an amazing lyricist myself and P we did uh, we supported uh, Black Alicious back in the day um, that was that was a great great experience for us and uh, sad news to see him pass away. Uh, unfortunately, now kind of getting to the point where a lot of the rappers I used to love, the ones that didn't get shot are just kind of dying from illnesses and sicknesses and old age and stuff like that. And it's, I'm getting old because <laughs> my favorite rappers, are, all my favorite rappers are dying. That was very sad. And I know uh, he was a huge West Coast rapper. And I know a lot of the hip hop community respect that. Uh, if you want to hear more of that song, check out Jan- Daniel Radcliffe, who is a bit of a hip hop fan. He does perform it on some talk show. I can't remember. But if you check out or you Google Daniel Radcliffe, Alphabet Aerobics, you, you will find it. So that was that was one of the royals. Sad news. We had the indoor dining. You touched on that. Uh, related to the indoor dining thing was have you seen this kind of thing that they're kicking around of well you can indoor dine if you've had your vaccinations I have seen it and I'm going to be fairly certain and say they're not going to go through with that I, don't, I think there'll be war if they, if, if they do that I feel like that is going to push everybody over the edge mm. you can't do it you, no and you can't expect bar staff earn a minimum wage to ask people for their medical records yeah or for proof of a vaccination, it's just whether it's GDPR guidelines that you're breaching or just something you shouldn't do. It's it's wrong, mm. and I I don't think it's something they're going to pursue. Yeah, I hope not. And I say that as someone that's had full vaccinations, I've had both of mine, um, and I think it's not fair. I don't think it's fair on people that are waiting to get their vaccines and they're being denied access to dining stuff like that. Um, People that refuse—that's that's that's a whole other story. Uh, talking about bringing in the 
the passport for travel, aren't it? As you wreck yeah. the gaff. <laughs> yeah, I just my phone just decided to take a nosedive off my bed there. Because <laughs> fuck sitting where I am here now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, they're looking at the, the vaccine passports. Now, I think for something like traveling, when you're all going to be confined on a plane, maybe it maybe it works. Mm-hmm. But um, if it's something kind of as simple as w- wanting to go to a pub and having to bring a vaccine passport with you, I think it's a little bit too extreme. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You're kind of playing a different when you already have to show a standard passport as well. Yeah. And there's security there. It's a different yeah. story. They could probably <laughs> hire professionals that you know, can sign a contract to keep that stuff private. Yeah. I love, uh, I love people giving out of how they'll be able to track you. If you get a vaccine passport, it's like, you do know what a normal passport does. Yeah. <laughs> they also say it's known they have a phone in their pocket. That I know. Yeah. has their location at all times. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's not an issue for them. No, no, let's not worry about that. Let's worry. About it's, o- it's only when it's a life-saving vaccine that <laughs> it becomes a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hope. Um, I I can't. I well, Jesus with this government, God only knows. But I couldn't. I couldn't see them trying to do it. Me smile. I don't know if I don't think you've you've watched it, Dave. Have you watched Dave? Hi, I'm Dave. Little Dicky show. Little Dicky. Oh, did you watch it? Oh, I've seen Dave. Oh, nice. Yeah, season two is back. It's been back a couple of weeks. So I've been. Yeah. I've been enjoying Dave. Uh, Little Dicky, as Cameron says, because he raps about having a weird penis. No, that's and, his rap. That's his rap name. Yeah, yeah, but it's based on him having a weird mm. penis. Uh, is he a real rapper? I presume he is. Isn't yeah. He? Oh, he's great. He is, is he? Yeah. He's a really good rapper. Yeah. yeah. I must. I must check it out. The uh, second season. Is, it's it's comedy and it, it's dark enough as well. There's, um, you know, it's uh, it's a very enjoyable show. But I am Dave. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. So it's on. It's on Sky Channels. What is it on? It's on. FX or something like that. It's it? on FX. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great, great show. So happy, to, happy to see Dave back. That's that's me smiles. That's me riles. Anything else with you before we kick on into into Heather? Not literally. No. <laughs> <laughs> no I, let's not I, let's not pick on people that are visually impaired. No, I feel like she's got enough on her plate. Probably doesn't need us kicking her. <laughs> yeah, her. exactly. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier in the show, this week we're straight talking blindness, and we're joined by Heather Hutchison. Heather is a singer, songwriter and author from Vancouver Island in Canada. Heather's book, Holding On By Letting Go, is available on Amazon and we'll have a link to that in the description. Heather, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Heather, would you like to maybe talk about yourself for a bit, your book, maybe what you're all about? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm a singer-songwriter from Canada and I recently, um, back in June, because I guess we're in July now, crazy. Mm, just um, yeah, first day. the memoir, Holding On By Letting Go. And basically, I kind of wanted to tackle two sort of interrelated themes um, about my life as a blind person in Canada as well as in Latin America, um, because I've lived in both places and the experience is vastly different, Um, as well as my struggles with my mental health over the years and ultimately, you know, how somebody can get to the point where they feel that there's no other option than to take their own life. And I guess ultimately um, the hospital ending up in the hospital in psychiatric care during the COVID-19 pandemic, which kind of added an interesting aspect to Mm. hospitalization. And just, yeah, making, I guess, people more comfortable around the idea of, of mental health and in particular hospitalization because I think there's a lot of misconceptions and 
you know, people always ask, oh, is it like, is it like what it is in the movies? And mm. yes and no. So, yeah. Okay. Before before we get into all of that, Heather, let's 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 rewind a little bit. You're you're blind from birth, is that right? Yes. And is that total blindness? Do you have any light? I, I think a lot of people don't realize that that there are varying degrees. You can be legally yeah, blind yeah, and still see it's and stuff all like or that. Nothing. Um, mm. So yeah, it's it's a continuum. I have what's classified as light perception, mm. which is more complicated than it sounds. Um, I can sometimes see things in bright contrast, you know, dark against light. Mm. Um, I see best in dark, like mm. right around the time when the sun sets. That dusk is best for me. Bright light, I'm pretty much completely blind. Do you use, again, you know, we want to clear up some of the misconceptions here. Do you use a cane, guide dog? Yes. Not all people, not all blind people use use either. Yeah, I use that. Right now I'm using a cane. I have had a guide dog. Mm. What was that experience like? What what's you said you had a guide dog, but you no longer have? No, no, she retired um, okay. a number of years ago, and it was really great from the independence side mm. of things. Um, dogs are obstacle avoiders, and canes are obstacle finders. <laughs> what wasn't so great was the public. <laughs> Everybody wants to talk to you about the dog, and. You know, mm. people are always, oh, what's the dog's name? How old is it? What breed is it? And it could be the 10th time in one day that I was asked those questions and it just wow. gets really old. People not asking you or talking about you or asking about you, but rather the dog. No, not at all. And it would never wow. continue on to, well, rarely continue on to an actual conversation. They just wanted to know about the dog and then they went on their way. What was that like for you? How was that experience? Um, the public visibility, I didn't like at all. Um, I have social anxiety and the constant talking to strangers was really uncomfortable for me. Mm. Um, and it makes it makes you feel kind of invisible because, you know, you have this dog and everybody's just talking about the dog and nobody cares about you. Mm. And this, of course, obviously, as you're blind, people are coming up that, you, you know, you you don't see these people going, oh, oh, God, he's going to stop here now and ask about the dog. I mean, you're yeah, just exactly. kind of out of nowhere. Yes, yes, very much so. Or they love to, um, speaking of out of nowhere, they'll just grab me like from behind. Like if they think I'm going wow. in the opposite direction of where they think I want to go, even if it's not where I want to go. Mm. They don't say anything. They will just come up behind me and and grab me, and it's kind of, I guess that must be fairly terrifying, be Heather, given that you mentioned you know social anxiety and stuff like that. Strange, because yeah. you know if somebody did that to an able-bodied female, mm. you know a negative response would be expected and encouraged. Mm. If somebody does that to me society kind of has this attitude that I should just take it and I should be grateful for whatever help they're willing to offer. Oh. Has anxiety always been a part of your life? Yeah. Or when did, yeah. when did that first come in? very young. What's, what's the experience of a, of a blind child? What's, what's that like? It was actually really normal for the first number of years. I didn't really realize that I was any different than anybody else. And mm. 
you know, kids until they get to a certain age, they don't really care either. So yeah, my yeah. friends were really good about it. Nobody cared. And then I would say around five, um, there was actually an incident with a playground bully um, where we'd been playing together all afternoon. And he asked me, you know, quite a while later, why do you never look at anything? And I told him I'm blind, just very matter of fact, like, mm. you know, commenting on the weather, no different. Mm. And his reaction was so immediate. He, I was standing at the top of the slide and he turned and he shoved me back. So I fell backwards and, you know, went down the slide yelled something over his shoulder about me being blind and took off on his bike. And it was all just like in five seconds after I told him I was blind. So I think that was the moment when I really realized that I wouldn't forever be seen as different. Mm. What age were you at that time, Heather? Five. Five. Yeah. She's my son is five. Yes. I can't I can't imagine them going having that experience. Well, my younger son, obviously my big son is not five. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron would be very articulate for a five year old. Yeah, impressive. I'm a very educated child. <laughs> <laughs> He's beyond his years. So was that your first and last experience of bullying due to the blindness, Heather? Oh no. No. It just that that started it and it kind of got worse from there. Um Elementary school games were more innocent. You know, people would come up, how many fingers am I holding up? Or, <laughs> you know, guess who? And it just got really old. Yeah, yeah. And then in junior high, you know, junior high girls are assholes. Mm. And so things got Junior worse. high would be what age? What age would you be when you're in junior high then? Huh? Oh, yeah. I don't know how your school systems work mm. there. Junior high here would be mm, 12 to 14. 14. Okay. So start a secondary school for us. Yeah, for in Ireland that would mm -hmm. be kind of first uh first to second year third year maybe. Yeah, first to second yeah. year. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm. So yeah, then the girls started beating me up sometimes and then the boys would join in and they would grab me and hold me against them in a bear hug until I told them who they were and then they would let me go. And Jesus. That went on until grade 11, so 16. I don't know what that would be. And I mm. finally just got really sick of it one day, and I hit the guy who was unfortunate enough to grab me that day in the crotch. And he <laughs> went down, and he was rolling Gosh. around on the, on the hallway floor. And I just, I was like, I fucking warned you 50 times. Mm -hmm. And I turned away, and I walked away, and that was finally the end of it well you've, you've got that cane now as well heather so if that that happens again you, you have a <laughs> exactly. weapon now you can hit them a lot harder oh it was with the cane oh great oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking daredevil yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that's jesus that's I, I, i'm trying to wrap my head around what sort of a person bullies well and bullies in general but mm -hmm. bullies a blind person yeah. it really is the kind of american movie kind of bully isn't it yeah. yes yeah very true horrendous i'm i'm hoping that that stopped in in high school for you heather yeah after the cane incident thing <laughs> like damn this is a bad hurt. bitch <laughs> yeah good yeah. i'm fucking glad glad that glad someone got their comeuppance around it terrifying and experience 
since you've left school now, is that kind of digressed a bit? You've had yeah, hopefully yeah. a more kind of peaceful experience. Yeah, university was was pretty good for the most part. Um, there was one rhetoric class I remember I was sitting in, and the students were expressing their very sincere opinions that disabled people should be segregated onto our own planes. Wow. Um, so that was a bit of an interesting lecture to sit through. Was that in, was that in Canada? Yeah. I thought I thought the stereotype was you're all nice over there, Heather. Yeah, that's what I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, what it, yeah, no, not not so much. Okay, it's just you and Ryan Reynolds. Everyone else. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What What did you study in college, Heather? I actually studied psychology, and then I left it to go study music, which you know, totally wrong progression of things. Good life choices. You you were probably better off. You don't want to end up like Alan. <laughs> <laughs> My loving son, Heather. Yeah, yeah so nice. So, yeah. Heather, you mentioned that you're a singer and a songwriter. What is a what is the songwriting process like for you as a as a blind person? Do you think it would be much different from someone that would wouldn't be visually impaired? No, I would say it's pretty similar because um, even a lot of musicians who aren't visually impaired will often just you know, use their phones or a tape recorder, whatever they have um, mm. to get down song ideas instead of, you know, writing them down and actually writing out the music. And that part of it kind of comes later. So I would say the creative um, process is pretty much exactly the same. Right. Cameron got ahead of the question that we had from Dean, one, one of our listeners. That was the exact thing he wanted to ask. Oh, really? so, yeah. So fair, fair play, Cameron. That's uh, twice today. You, you I've mentioned done phone this. there. Yeah, you're you're on you're on fire today. Um, again, Heather, you know I want to I want to uh, plead forgiveness, but you know <laughs> I, I'm trying to ask the questions that I know the listeners will be will be asking. You mentioned yeah, a phone sure. there. What what's a smartphone like for a blind person? Is there apps? Is there how how, how does it work? Yeah, so most blind people use iPhones. Um, you can use Android. Ironic. It's not as accessible. <laughs> Um, basically there's, there's a built-in screen reader. You can turn it on. Some people accidentally turn it on and then they don't know how to get it off. I don't know if that's ever happened to any of you, but mm. it happens a lot. And I get lots of calls from my friends like, oh, I turn this, I turn voiceover on voiceover <laughs> is the name of the program and I can't get it off. How do I get it yeah. off? Um, so yeah, it's built into every iPhone and it, um, reads whatever's on the screen or you can hook up a digital Braille display to it through Bluetooth, and you can read Braille. How does that How does that work, Heather? So, how do you explain it? Mm. It's like it's, a, it's an external instrument, is it? Yeah, it's like a yeah, an external piece of equipment, I guess that. Mm. Um, you can get them in different sizes. Some have 20 cells, some have 40 cells, and most of them are Bluetooth now. And you just hook them up, and um, as you're reading, you just press the button to advance it, and the, whatever's on the, on the Braille display screen changes. Wow. Okay. I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs> no, it does. Yeah, that's just brilliant, fantastic. The 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 technology that's 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 there to yeah, to, to help yeah. everyone. You know, I'm I'm so so glad that, that there's options out there. Um, 
being blind means you're human. Heather, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, yes. Being human also means mental health issues that yes. come with living in the world, dealing with people and dealing with the stresses of life. Obviously, you experience uh, the world differently, being blind, but having a brain, having emotions, they come with their own issues for all of us. What, yeah, what, same, what's same. been what's been your experience around around mental health? Um, I started struggling with it pretty young. Uh, my parents had their own mental health struggles, so I saw it very young. Um, I had pretty bad anxiety by the time I was seven. I was getting sent home from school a lot because I was always sick. Um, and you know, I. I hope things are getting better for kids now, but back then it was kind of like, oh, you know, she'll grow out of it. Mm. Uh, it didn't happen. Then that anxiety, you know, feeling like that all the time leads to the depression because you don't want to feel like that anymore. Mm. And I lost a loved one to suicide when I was 12. And I kind of started thinking, you know, because it was always very hush hush you know don't tell the children what actually Mm. happened so we never really discussed it and so me at 12 trying to process this on my own I'm starting to go well maybe that's not such a bad idea maybe that makes a lot of sense Mm. so you're having your own suicidal thoughts for at at such a young age yeah yeah Mm. You mentioned some some of the things that at home had or uh, did that was that uh, maybe triggered the anxiety for you as a young child? Was what sorry? Uh, just the, the home environment, what what you witnessed uh, with your parents. That, that was that something that triggered your own anxiety? Yeah, for sure. My dad was diagnosed with cancer when I was three, so he was in and out of treatment a lot. And then my parents separated for a while when I was six, and they got back together, and then they separated again for good when I was 13. Mm. You mentioned just when you were speaking about losing a loved one to suicide and how everyone in your family had kept it hush-hush. I think that's kind of one of the problems with kids and suicide is that people tend to when they're kids, they feel, oh, well, they can't understand it. They're too young. But mm-hmm. I think it is something that needs to be explained to them so that they can at least try and understand and maybe realize that it's not the solution that they think it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Because not talking about it is not working. So we need to try mm. something else. Before you before you were told about it or before you found out what did happen, Heather, were, you know, did you sense something was wrong or did you did you take as value what was said or? Um. I knew she'd passed away. I don't know that my parents even really knew the entire story um, Mm. immediately. Uh, I would say I found out around the same time as them, probably more of an overheard conversation than actually Mm. something that was shared with me. So anxiety and depression has been a, has been a a part of your life from such a, uh, such an early age. Yeah. Is that still something that's that that affects you? Is it still something that enters your life? Yeah, very much so. Okay. In your book header, that's a lot of the topic of the book, isn't it? It's your your struggles with mental health, yeah, and obviously your blindness and how you work through it. I read your blog post when you talked about why you decided to write a book, and you said you said how could you not write it? 
Could you yeah. maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Um, it was an editor actually that told me that don't write a book because you want to write a book. Write a book because you can't not write a book. And it actually, the idea came to me when I was in the hospital. I was lying awake there one night and somebody was brought in by helicopter um, in critical condition. And shortly after, there was a code blue called. And I'm laying there, you know, kind of listening to all this. And I start thinking about this patient's family and like, my God, they're having one of the most terrible nights that they will ever know. And this person is lying in this bed fighting for their life and I'm fighting to end my life. And like, my God, would they trade with me if they could? And it was kind of like, no, I have to try and find a way forward. I have to choose life. And if I'm going to do that, then I need to do something good with this experience. So the way the way you saw it was that seeing them sort of struggle was kind of a, a waking point, I suppose, for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very interesting. And you... So I'm assuming with your book, you're hoping that it'll help other people when they have their mental health struggles, that maybe it will teach them that maybe suicide isn't the answer and that there is other ways around it. Yeah, I hope so. And also for people who haven't had that experience, hopefully they can get something out of it too in that, you know, they can read it and hopefully feel more compassion for people who end up in that situation instead of you know, the typical, oh, how could they do that? It's so selfish. It's the easy way out. There's nothing easy about it. Mm. Yeah, we, we discussed it last week. I, I lost a friend to suicide two years ago and we had spoke with grief last week and we'd mentioned that one of the hardest things dealing with is trying is a lot of people when they experience someone new, somebody close to them or a loved one that is, has, you know, lost their lives to suicide, that they, they try to understand why they did it. Mm-hmm. And then the first thing that come to mind is, oh, they're selfish. They they took themselves out of my life. Yeah, yeah. They so make it's it it's a topic them. we're very familiar with. Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate because I think often when somebody gets to that point, they view the act as as something almost altruistic. Mm. You know, they're mm. doing <laughs> the world a favor, really. Yeah. We had a correspondence earlier, actually, Heather, as as you speak, and uh, an email from Marty, and the, the the very thing he was saying is that you know, like he thinks people will will be better off, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you know, we we will elaborate on the on the email a little bit more, but I think what you're saying is that no, pe- people won't be better off. No, no, no. Just, just to rewind a little bit, then, um, Heather, as 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 we draw from your book, you, you said you Canada and South America. How how yeah. did you end up from where you're at down to down below, down to the <laughs> southern parts of, of the American continent? Um, because why not? No. Um, <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> true. That's a good point. Yeah. I kind of grew up um, surrounded by the Latin community here in Canada, mm. and. I actually find them, and I'm going to make some huge generalizations mm. here, so excuse me. It's all right. They're basically, they handle my blindness a lot better than Canadians. Um, they're 
much more open about it. They don't ask as many stupid questions, but they just, they watch and they observe and they learn that way. And they just really make me feel included. And so I wanted to go down there and and live that experience fully. And also, you know, because I grew up in Canada, go down there and be different for a different reason. Mm. Where where did you go? I lived in Peru. Mm. Um, what was that experience like for you then? You know, obviously, it's it's a huge it's a huge challenge for anyone to to move to a to a new country. What was it like going into that world blind? It was amazing. Really, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> How it, so? it was like we touched down in Lima, and it just felt like I had finally come home after so many years mm. away. Mm. Amazing. And you, you found the experience down there to be, I, I don't know if it's the right word or not, less condescending? Is, yeah, is nice. very much so. Um, yeah. Actually, the day we came back, we were in the airport, and the very first conversation we had with somebody in the airport was somebody who talked to my partner instead of me because people really like to do that. I don't know why. They think I don't understand English. And <laughs> he said to him, what's wrong with her? And Jeez. it was just so shocking because in the entire time I lived in Peru, nobody had ever done anything like that. And, mm. you know, I get back and within five minutes, I'm reminded of why I wanted to leave. Mm. Wow. You're clearing up a lot of misconceptions, not only on blindness, but also on Canada for people, I think. <laughs> Heather, you haven't it, said it a is boot. a nice place. You haven't I said swear. A, and you're not all really nice people. No, no, we have. Okay, everyone's mind is just blown here at the minute. It's, uh, I don't know. I it don't is know, It I, is a nice place. I'm probably making yeah. it out to sound terrible, <laughs> I, I just, and it's not. I, I'm angered, though, you know. I can, I can, I'm, I'm feeling angry as I listen to some of these experiences that you've had. I can't imagine what that's been like for you. Yeah, yeah, it's challenging for sure. Mm. You mentioned then uh, hospitalization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so what, what brought you into that world? So, oh gosh, it's a long story. Um, it's okay. It's a podcast. I, we can go as long as we want. <laughs> you tell in, your story however you want. In 2019, I entered into a major depressive as episode that lasted a really long time and I was finally coming out of it um I was setting you know survival goals so for me it would be something like I can't kill myself until I finish this music project I'm working mm -hmm. on or until my friend comes to visit until I take this trip whatever mm -hmm. and then I would after those things were over I'd try to plan you know more things so I could keep that going um mm. and things were getting better i was working on a lot of music stuff that was really exciting um i moved to a bigger city with public transit which is awesome but not mm. awesome when you have social anxiety and you haven't had to take public transit for five years because you didn't live in a place that had it mm. so all of a sudden i'm like out alone in public and that was a huge stressful change um but I was making progress bit by bit. And then COVID came and all my survival goals, all my everything that I was working towards 
was put on hold indefinitely. And it was like, well, what's the point? There's no purpose. There's no goals. Um, and just as the months went by, things got worse and worse um, to the point where I really wasn't functioning. I wasn't eating at all. Um, it got to the point where I couldn't eat. Like my body couldn't handle solid food anymore. Um, when I was admitted to the hospital, they weighed me and I weighed 30 pounds less than what my lowest guess would have been. So I didn't really know that things had gotten that out of control physically mm. as well. And my doctors and, and therapists at the time were only um, seeing people on phone. They weren't even doing video calls, so it was just phone. Wow. So they weren't really seeing what was happening. And I wasn't really seeing anybody, you know, because it was lockdown. We weren't allowed to see anybody. Mm. So nobody really saw what was happening. And then in the end, in the last couple of weeks before I was hospitalized, I actively began planning to die. And I had everything worked out. I had all my preparations in place. Um, my book goes into that, not because I want to be morbid, but because I really want people to understand if they haven't been there before what that's actually like because depression mm. is its own beast but by the point you get to where you're actively planning to die it's to me it's like a whole other entity so if yeah. you haven't experienced it it's it's hard to understand or if you have experienced it um people don't really talk about it mm. so you know everybody likes to focus on recovery which is great that should be the goal mm. but how can we really you know respect or um what's the word um appreciate the journey of recovery mm. if we don't know what came before i think we're missing yeah exactly yeah, and i think you're absolutely right story. there Adam. yeah i um, think so we do we do look at it as oh great you know you were you were in that place and then mm -hmm. then you came out of it yeah but yeah, yeah i think i think you're absolutely right we don't talk about the no, place. so I was going through it and it feels very lonely because nobody else talks about it. Um, so those were kind of the final weeks and I decided that I would go to the hospital. I would take, um, it was a Friday, I would take the weekend to prepare either for hospitalization or for death and I would go into the hospital on Monday and if I wasn't admitted or if I didn't feel any better when I got out, then, you know, plan B. Mm -hmm. um, what I was didn't the plan, Heather? Sorry? What was the plan? What were you going to do? To die. Did you know what, 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 how you were going to do it? Or? Yeah, yeah. Everything was perfectly in place for when so, I got home if I yeah. wasn't admitted. What what do you think uh, was there a kind of breaking point that that got you there, or was it just a culmination of everything? I think it was just a combination of everything. I don't think I could pinpoint one thing. Mm. Um, I think I wasn't far enough out of that major depressive episode when COVID came. Mm. Um, do, do you know what triggered that pre-COVID that that depressive episode? Was there anything in particular that that triggered that for you? I don't think so. Not, not particularly. It's mm. it just happens. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's something small and it just triggers something and yeah. then and it just latches on to every other negative it. thought and experience yeah. that, that we've had yeah, and that exactly. downward spiral. And if you don't get it, you know, right at the second, you start yeah. to spiral and you, you really need that early intervention, don't you? Then it's too late. Yeah, yeah. Because once it takes hold, it's mm-hmm. it's gone. You know, yes. uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the term or if they use it over there, but over here we kind of use the term the black dog. Mm-hmm. Is, yep. is that, yeah, and it's yep. like once that once that black dog gets a bit of energy and he he takes off. Yes, he's yep. dragging you along with him. Stuck in this loop of negative thinking and yeah, you really want the dog whisperer there to <laughs> give him it <laughs> yeah, straight away. Just give him a little jab right at the right at the start so you can catch yeah. it. Mm. Is there people around you that have that have helped you in it, uh, Heather? That have helped you to to come through those pieces, or was it has it got to that point where you you needed the hospitalization? I needed the hospitalization. I think there was if I was going to live, there was no other alternative. By that point, it it just had gotten way too serious, and I went into the hospital. I didn't even want to get better when I went into the hospital. I was basically just looking for absolution. So, you know, I go to the hospital, I tell them the truth. They say, oh, you're fine. They send me home and then Mm -hmm. I can die kind of with this clear conscience, right, of, well, I tried and my loved ones will know that I tried. So, Forgive the question. Was there any kind of disappointment in the piece when they didn't send you home when, when you didn't <laughs> yeah, get to? Yeah, for sure. It, it yeah. definitely didn't play out how I intended it <laughs> yeah. to. Um, like, hang I on thought, a second. <laughs> That's not the yeah, way this is no. supposed to go. <laughs> I thought at most they would hold me for 24 hours and then I mm. would be out and free to do whatever. Mm. Um, but no, they ended up holding me under the Mental Health Act. I think, mm. Do they call it section there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, that didn't quite work out. <laughs> how I thought it would. Mm. So I suppose it was probably, yeah, it didn't work out how you hope, but there was still hope, you know, because you were going in there going, well, this I'll, this is my last try. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in, re- in retrospect, obviously, there was a part of me that wanted to live or I wouldn't have bothered. But at the time, I just had to tell myself, no, I'm, I'm doing this for absolution because I don't care. Mm-hmm. You said people have asked, oh, is the hospitalization, is it like what you see on TV? Mm-hmm. And you said, it is and it isn't. What, yeah. what was being in there? What was what was that experience like for you? It's, I mean, there is some of that, that aspect of what you see on TV, mm-hmm. um, but it's not constant. You know, the, mm-hmm. the freak outs and everything and the people in restraints, you do see it, but it's mm-hmm. not, you know, 24-7. Um. I was on two separate wards. So the second ward was um, still locked and we couldn't really have anything with us, but it was a little bit more relaxed. People were more stabilized when they Mm. made it to that ward. Um, So Mm. that made it a little bit easier. Um, Basically, it's just really, really intensive therapy and a lot of Ativan. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I noticed in the language, uh, even there, as you're saying, you know, you don't really see, you know, sometimes you do see people strapped to the beds and stuff like that. You know, I think it's important to remind listeners and even as as I hear it, that, yes, you, you do see this, you do see that, but you don't see 
you're in this environment yeah, as yeah. as a blind person, which is again an entirely different experience. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because somebody's you know freaking out, having a psychotic break ten feet away from you, and you're not really watching to see what's going on. So yeah, mm-hmm. it kind of I guess adds another layer of anxiety to that. Like, are yeah. the nurses coming fast enough? Are the hospital protection officers on their way? Mm. Or is this going to get really out of hand? Mm. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, you don't even know if that person is chained to a bed. Is this yeah. person yeah, out of a bed? Does this too. person have a knife? Is this person... Yeah, it's... well, I mean, they search you when you come in, so mm. you would hope mm. that they uh, yeah, I just used that. I just used that as an example of in the unknown and, yeah, and the anxiety yeah, around unknown. that. Yeah. Yeah. How long were you? How long were you hospitalized for then, Heather? Nine days. Nine days. And how was your um, your? I suppose your emotion coming out of it when you when you left the hospital. How did you feel then? Um, hopeful. It was really anticlimactic. I thought it would be like a big deal actually leaving the hospital, but it it wasn't. <laughs> like you just walk out, they unlock the door and you walk out and it's kind of like, oh, okay. Now I'm, it was a bit like being thrown into the deep end of a pool. Um, but because I had that idea, that purpose for the book, the book was kind of like a life jacket. And mm-hmm. so I kind of had that a little bit. And now that the book's done, it's, it's a bit scary because now it's like I'm in the deep end of the pool and the life jacket's been taken away and I don't know if I can swim yet. Do you find yourself, Heather, constantly finding, okay, I need the next thing? Is it constantly uh, <laughs> yeah. that survival, as you said, of, okay, yes. the next thing, you know, and then I got to do the book and constantly looking for something to to be yeah, the life jacket yeah, for like you? Yeah, like the book, the day the book came out, it's like, okay, now what? Yeah, yeah. Did that trigger any depression for you? Finishing the book? Yeah, as I mean, it came out. I mean, what can what can happen for a lot of uh, marathon runners, people that have been training for a marathon afterwards to just they, they just hit this low because yeah, yeah, they've been totally. working towards something for so long, and then it, and then it's gone. Yeah, and it was like that for the book. It's been like that mm. for all my albums. Every time an mm. album comes out, same thing. Yeah. Let's get into the music, Heather. Let's um, let's let's talk about how that began for you. Yeah, so I was fifteen actually when I met my first producer. Um, it was at the backstage at the finals of a talent competition, and he had been on the board of judges and approached me backstage and and was like, "Hey, I'm a producer." Um, you know, maybe we can record some music together. Mm. And I was kind of like, okay, cool, great. But I never actually thought it would happen. And then Mm. three weeks from that day, we're in the studio recording the album. So it it all came together super fast. What was that like? You were a kid. What what was that like? It was crazy. It was like, you know, one day I'm playing with my friends in the band room in high school because I was in grade 10. Mm. And... The next day I'm playing with professional musicians in a professional recording studio. So it was, it was really surreal. Mm. Did that give you a lot of bragging rights in school? Could you go into school the next day then? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For a bit. And then I had my my big CD release concert (laughs) and then, and then I was like invisible again. No. Is that how you felt? Has that been your experience in life? Invisible? 
visible for all the wrong reasons and yeah, invisible yeah. for the right ones. Yeah. Um, you went on to study music then? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm. You switched from the psychology to the to the music. Yeah, bad life yeah. choices. <laughs> One pays <laughs> a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> jazz. Yeah. What is it about jazz that's appealed to you? Um, basically, that was that's kind of what they teach in post secondary music school because the kind of opinion is if you can play jazz, you can play anything. Mm. Um, so it wasn't particularly. I didn't. I didn't go into school wanting to study jazz. I didn't mm. actually really like it that much. <laughs> um, you get there as you get older. I think I found yeah, myself a, yeah, a huge totally. jazz fan. And, yeah. You know, as my music matured, as I got to be a better musician i actually really started enjoying um playing jazz mm. i think it's more enjoyable to play than to listen to a lot of times but yeah <laughs> cameron as a young lad I, I can imagine is going jazz is shit i am uh, <laughs> i i'm i'm open to other people's opinions but yeah jazz <laughs> jazz is pretty shit yeah i love one I day think for- one day yeah, I think for me, because, you know, I've been a huge hip hop and rap fan for, you know, for so long, you know, a lot of jazz samples would have brought in. So I would have been exposed to it um, oh, yeah. kind yeah, of secondarily, true. you know, mm-hmm. and then you go, oh, that's a, that's a fan. What's that song? And you get the horn riffs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, totally. so that, that, you know, jazz is something I've been interested in and loved because I was exposed to it indirectly. Yeah. Yeah. And, it and you know, the samples that they so would have been influenced genres. by. Mm, mm. same with soul funk etc etc it's been yeah. it's been a huge thing how would you describe your own your own style of music i know it's um, a difficult it's question pop, i would say mm. um quite a bit of piano mm. ballads i like ballads mm. if there was one of your songs that i know they're all like they're like your children and yeah, you know it's hard totally to pick are. yeah but is there one that kind of you hold that little bit closer perhaps yeah i think one on my last album called my truth Mm. what is it about that one that is just that little bit more for you um i wrote it right when i came back from peru and i was really struggling when i came back from peru i didn't want to be in canada i didn't get out of bed for quite a while and this was actually the first song that I finally got the energy, I guess, and got over the songwriter's block to write. Mm. And it's it's actually about mental health and my struggle with coming back to Canada and and climbing, you know, fighting my way back up from that darkness. Mm. So the story behind the song is a is a big meaning point for you. Yeah. How would you say overall you're feeling in life at the moment, Heather? Pretty good. Um, good. It's, you know, it's not a destination. It's a journey. Mm, mm. And I think people forget that. Um, it's common you feel you're on the right hear, path, like, though, at the moment. Yeah. And family, like, or friends, whatever, loved ones, you get out of the hospital and they're like, well, you're better now, right? And it's kind of <laughs> like, well, it <laughs> yeah, <my name laughs> doesn't yeah. really work like that. Yeah. But yeah, overall, um, I would say I'm using 
my tools more effectively to manage things. Hmm. And are you working on anything at the minute, another album? I'm not right now. I have some ideas kind of in the works and I would really like to pick up on the project we were actually working on right before COVID hit. So hopefully that will still come together as things are finally starting to open up a little bit here. I don't know about there. Yeah, what what is things like over there uh, in terms of COVID lockdown restrictions? Um, today, actually, they finally got rid of the masks, so we don't have oh, wow. to wear masks in public anymore. Um, mm. They opened clubs at very limited capacity, um, theaters, that sort of stuff is finally starting to open. Wow. We can't even eat indoors still here oh, at the seriously? moment. Yeah, yeah, it was just uh, uh, just the other day. It was pushed out again. Oh no, you guys yeah. went back. That's the worst when you go forward and you think. No, we no, we haven't gone forward. We've been like this since Christmas. Oh, you haven't gone forward. He, no, oh, they, they keep yeah. they keep promising that they're going to open stuff up, and then when yeah, it gets to the date weeks, that it's supposed to open, <laughs> they just keep throwing it back again. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's really like how it was here until very recently probably i think june 15th was mm. when we were finally they opened restaurants back up again some semblance of normality for you anyway over there yeah know, which is, which yeah is a little cool. bit yeah heather we touched on a couple of things as we've been talking you know misconceptions around blindness and stuff like that um is there anything any any points in particular that you would like people to know um Don't come up to a stranger and start asking them their personal medical history. (laughs) (laughs) No more Um, than you would anyone else. No, exactly. Blind people are people. (laughs) All the time. Like I'll be on the bus and people will be like, oh, were you born like that? And it must be like so difficult. And I've actually had people on the bus be like, oh my God, like if I had your life, I would kill myself. And I guess it's some sort of like weird compliment. Yeah. But no, it's never okay to say that yeah um some of the i i I think you know we try to be as informative on 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 the podcast as well i'm not you know to make people aware that a large part of the brain is dedicated to sight um and it just goes to show how much visual creatures that we are and the occipital lobe which is responsible for for sight is is right at the back of the brain and in terms of kind of real estate in the brain, visual takes up a large portion of that. You're, you're blind since since birth, either. You know, we hear about, well, you've got a, you know, super hearing. You've got a super sense of smell. Your other senses become heightened. It's yeah. a bit of a misconception. Yeah, it's not really true. Um, we just learn to use them better. It's not that they're actually better. Yeah. For people that are blind since birth, that part of the brain does get utilized for other things. Mm-hmm. So, for example, touch can take up uh, some of that. If you're blind, if you become blind in later life, uh, you don't have that. You don't have that luxury, for want of a better word, because that that part remains um, for the visual for the visual part of the brain. Can yeah, can you like say a little bit? It's really hard for for people who go blind later in life to learn braille. Yes, yeah. So that part of the brain that would normally be dealing with with sight is yeah. touch gets taken over for touch and braille, etc. For mm-hmm. for yourself, and as you say, yeah, people in later life they they really struggle with that. Yeah. 
One of the other things, uh, again, because so for for people that our eyes, our eyeballs are parts of our brain, they're extensions of our brain, the only part of the brain that is and the central nervous system is out which is outside of the of the body. And some of the functions of the eyes or what, what has what has evolved to happen is to allow light to enter into our central nervous system and that defines sleep. So we have our circadian rhythms, people with difficulty sleeping, you know, get up, get some early sunlight, get some, you know, witness witness sunset and stuff like that. That's how our body clocks have been have been set. For for a lot of blind people, sleep can be a can be a huge issue. Is yes. that something you've you've struggled with, Heather? Yeah, very much so for forever. I'm on meds now for it. Um but yeah, it I tried everything, like all the natural things everybody suggested, mm. all these natural supplements and yeah. None of yeah, them worked. Unfortunately, light is the is the biggest and best one. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Heather, I have my eyesight and I can't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems to be a pretty common thing across the board. Yeah. Mm. Dreams is another one, Heather. People, oh, people yeah. ask about, do blind people dream? And you do. Yes, yes. That yeah. actually is a really good question because I hear that all the time. Mm. And yes, it's... Actually, it's really weird because when I dream, I don't see any more than I do in real life. But mm. if I'm in an unfamiliar environment in my dream, I'm not using a cane or a dog or anything. I'm just like walking around as if it were a familiar environment, even though it's not. And even though I don't see any more than I actually would. Mm. Nightmares again is is also... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. More so than the general population, I believe. I don't know. I think, I think I've think seen some research that blind people have, have, have more nightmares. Oh, what, what would be the kind of tone of a nightmare for you? Or what's, you know, can you describe this? I presume it's a sensory experience, is it, as, as, as you dream, Heather? Yeah. Um, good question. How do you explain yeah dreams <laughs> yeah um yeah i guess it is more of a sensory experience um i think a lot of maybe my nightmares center around me feeling out of control mm-hmm. in in the environment that i'm in so the same as everyone else <laughs> yeah yeah i think so so, Heather, for for anyone for anyone that's interested, and I'm, I can imagine everyone is going to be interested after listening to such a such a wonderful story. Um, can you give us a little bit of information where we can find your book, where we can listen to your music, where can we find out even more about you? Yeah, you can visit my website at heather-hutchison.com, and it has the book and um, music as well. And for the book, it's available on Amazon, Audible as an audiobook. Um, mm. It's available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. And Great. on my website, you can there's a list of places as well that you can check it out. That was Straight Talking Blindness. We hope you liked what you heard. If so, give us a rating, subscribe, leave a comment. Or if you think someone you know would benefit from this podcast, by all means, share it with them. Or on your social media pages, it would make a big difference in their lives. If there's anything you want us to cover or discuss, or if you have a story to tell, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch by email, hello at stmhpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at S-T-R-A-TalkingPod. 
And we're also on Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talking Podcast. Big shout out to Fiona Bryan for the podcast music. He's an amazing producer and beat maker. Catch him on Facebook at FOB Beats. If you're a rapper, a singer or whatever, he'll look after you. And now you'll hear our last word from Heather. Thanks very much. Look after yourself, folks. And look after each other. If you're going through something really awful and and you think that you don't want to be here anymore, I'm not going to say that it gets better and that, you know, cheer up, it'll be, you know, tomorrow's a better day. Mm. Um, you're valued, all that kind of stuff because, it's, mm. you know, it's very... You can even read an Instagram post for that. Exactly, totally, <laughs> all the influencers. And it's... Yeah. It's not helpful when you're when you're in the thick of it because, you know, you're not. It's it's kind of like saying I'm sorry to somebody who's just lost a loved one. Like it mm. just doesn't really mean anything. So mm. I'm not gonna tell you those things, but I will say that I can pretty much promise that there will come a day when you stop in a moment in what you're doing and you think, damn, I I would have missed this. Street talk.